Sati, lovely to speak to you. Uh, it's the week of Big Spud in Glasgow. We're just about to head off to the conference. And you're going to give a talk there. You're going to give a keynote talk. And I suppose the core content of this talk is that people are harmed by mental health services. Is it possible to kind of talk about the scale of that problem? Do we know, how much do we know about that? I mean, we can't be blind to it as professionals. So as a clinical psychologist working in mental health services, and I've been working in mental health services for like nearly 20 years now. Um, and there hasn't been times where actually, you know, harm's not been spoken about, it's there. But it's almost like the, the elephant in the room at times, um, where you might have services and organisations that are not wanting, not willing, not ready to talk about the difficult stuff. Um, but we see everywhere, we see it on newspapers, we see it in the media, we watch it on documentaries. Um, so it's there. So the scale of the problem is huge. Um, you know, you know, you have to watch like recent documentaries from Panorama, which detail um, the scale of the problem and the review by the government of inpatient um, services and the scandals that have gone on within those sectors as well. So it's a huge problem that one that we can't avoid and one that we need to talk about. Give us a sense of when you say people are harmed, what, what you're talking about here. It, it, you know, there's a spectrum, isn't there? Um, but it all falls under harm. So abuse, neglect, discrimination, biases, blind spots. It all contributes to people's care and services. So we can start off with um, our beliefs, our narratives around those with a diagnosis of a personality disorder. You know, so we have um, narratives which, you know, we will hear, oh, God, the most difficult client group to work with. Oh, gosh, you'll be burnt out. Oh, gosh, they're just attention seeking. Oh, gosh, they're just manipulative. So we have that end. And then you've got the extreme end is when care becomes so harmful um, in all the inquiries we've had in hospitals and trusts where actually it's led to patient deaths. So we're talking about restraints. We're talking about neglect on the wards. We're talking about patients just lost um, within services who died by suicide. Um, so, yeah, it just varies. And I think what hits hard um, is that we hear a lot of the stories from a patient's narrative or from the communities of um, the groups of people that we work from. But we don't really hear it enough from professional groups. And I think whilst I don't want to be the first, I hope I'm not the last, um, but there have been people that have been openly talking about harm. Um, it's written um, in materials that we can have access to. But it's also, you know, on the horizon that we can talk about it openly. But yeah, we're still not there yet. So maybe we can come on to talk about why organisations struggle to become more open in their conversations about harm in a second. But before we do... I'm interested in your points about intersectionality. You say, you know, we need to view this issue through an intersectional lens. So what does that mean? So I guess, you know, um, we all know the statistics around personality disorder. There's a racial bias, a gender bias, a sexual bias. Um, and there's no sort of narratives around misdiagnosis, you know, based on like other aspects as well. But I guess, you know, as people, you know, we are more than just our skin, right? So we're made up of... Um, our, our race, our gender, our sexuality, um, our age, our disability, our neurodiversity, um, all sorts of ability and, and so forth. 
And I guess when we're thinking about individuals and services, all those parts of us impact on our mental health. So, um, you know, what it's like being, um, you know, a black female navigating in mental health services, what it's like to be um, a trans woman um, navigating in mental health services, all those contribute to our journey. And if we're not talking about this, then actually we can really contribute to harm. Um, and so it's not necessarily talking about a hierarchy of needs. It's almost like a hierarchy of difference. So when we are meeting those with a diagnosis of personality disorder or not, or complex trauma, whatever lens you want to view it from, that's not what this topic is about. What's the, what's the needs of this individual? You know, what, what do we need to attend to? Who is this person that we have in front of us? You know, how do we engage? How do we work with this um, person? How do we work with this community? How do we work with this population? And I think that's why I look at intersectionality in terms of it's so important now more than ever um, to look at this area. Um, we know about, you know, there's been previous talks in Big Spud around, um, you know, race and personality disorder and gender and sexuality and personality disorder. On all these things, we need to talk about more in services, you know, as part of conversations around our engagement, our assessments, our recovery programs, um, our care plans, our safety plans. The whole journey, we need to start exploring this because it contributes and it matters. Um, and that's what our patients say, you know, I'm X and I'm, you know, I'm part of this community. And I think that's really important. Um, and hopefully my talk will illustrate why it's important, you know, that when we see people as just a diagnosis and not necessarily made above, you know, different parts of themselves, then we lose so much that we've got the capacity to harm. In the world that we're living in, in 2023, there's suddenly all this stuff, you know, there's neurodivergence, you know, blossoming, there's kind of all the kind of trans issues and there's all issues around, you know, sexuality. And I think a lot of people feel like they just don't understand what all this stuff is and they're frightened by it and detached from it. So what would you say to pr pr practitioners? What should they be doing to educate themselves? It's really understanding how different factors in us interact and shape our mental health. You know, that is it. So looking at me, so I sit here as a brown um, female, but there's more than there's more to me than that. You know, I come from a, a working class background, you know, you know, I'm in my 40s. Um, you know, um, I have my own, you know, needs um as well. So these things are really important. And I could see you as a white male, but you're not just a white male, right? There's more to you than just that. So how do we better to better create spaces where we can get to know one another and what influences you in your journey if you were sitting on the other end of services with me? I think those are the conversations we need to start having. It's a difficult topic, right? You know, people fear talking about this stuff. Um, but I think if you do it in a way um, that's done as part of the work, um, it, it really helps. I think people shy away from, especially race, you know, the fear of getting it wrong, right? Um, but hey, we're just trying to actually do the best that we can. Um, but we also shouldn't rely on our patients to teach us you know, so if I know that actually I'm working with somebody with neurodivergence or neurodiversity, what do I need to equip myself with to understand how can I adapt therapy? How can I adapt my care plan? What do I need to do to work with this person? Where? How? With what means? Um, and these are really important questions to start, you know, um, at the beginning of our journeys when we're working with some of our patients. Mm -hmm.
And you say it's not just about individuals causing harm. It's also about organizations causing harm. You say we split off as an organization the different parts of our client group, which is then held by different service staff and team dynamics are projected on users. That I thought was a really lovely way of thinking about it. Tell us more about that. Yeah, you know, there's a real sense of, you know, um, you know, our patients, you know, they're the only ones that have transference and counter transference and project, yeah, and they split. Except as clinicians, we're human, right? We also have projection, we also project, you know, we also have our own transference, we also have our own histories, we also have our own narratives and beliefs around ourselves, others in the world. And this stuff really matters in spaces when we enter with our patients. And that's why you always talk about the importance of supervision, of line management, of group spaces, because I think actually we are blind to our stuff as well. And it's really helpful um, when you are working with teams to see what dynamics get played out in teams. You know, we often like have this split, you know, the good, bad, you know, the good staff team, the bad population, right? The both and exist within all of us, you know, within teams, within individuals, whether you're a clinician or whether you're a patient, and I think we don't talk about that enough, you know. So we need to attend to this stuff, you know. We need to attend to, you know, maybe staff um, who are who are who are driven by high levels of anxiety, right? And the impact that has upon the team, the impact it has on the patient group, you know. We need to attend to, you know, staff who come into it um, to meet their own needs. You know, we like to think that all staff come into the mental health profession for the better of patients, except we know that's not the truth, right? We know that our, you know, the reason why we enter into it varies, right? Um, but can we talk about that? You know, can you talk to me as to why you're finding this particular patient a real difficulty with yourself, rather than saying, oh, it's the patient, they're manipulative, they're attention-seeking, they're resistant, you know, can you start to attend to look at yourself? What's so hard to look at? And it's that type of stuff that, you know, is happening, but we need to do more of it. And I don't think we openly talk about it, you know, with our clients as well, you know, things that get evoked in us. Um, but I think that's really helpful. Um, I think the more that you can enter into these spaces with this population in particular and start to talk about things that get evoked in the space between us, the better the relationship is, the better the chances of recovery um, and the better engagement that we have with services as well. I mean, the amount of times I hear treatment resistant, manipulative, hard to engage, she will never get better, oh, not her again. These are all things that we hear and I'm not alone in this. You know, it's it's there. So what's happened in mental health services, in the culture of the organisations over the last however many years, that we're in this position that we can't talk about it? And yet everyone knows about it because it's all over the TV and the newspapers. How did we get there? Gosh, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast, really. You know, we can sit here and we can blame the government. You know, we can sit here and we can blame all other layers except actually we need to actually work on what can we do to make a difference first now I think budgets staff morale retention um you know NHS culture the busyness the demands the complexity of the the systems that we're working with even wider than the NHS you know our relationships with local authorities education 
um, private sectors. Um, it all comes down to money, right? Um, except even if I think we've got like all this money in the world and we've got all the staffing in the world, right? Would that change? I don't think it would. Yeah, I don't think it would, but you can challenge me on that. I think what we need to attend to is what actually our mental health services set up to do. You know, why do we why do we have mental health services? You know, is it clear to all of us? So why do we do the job that we do? It's the first question I ask everybody at an interview, you know, why do you want this job? You know, why do you want to work with this client group? That's really important because there are easier jobs, let's be honest. I can lecture in a department in clinical psychology, you know, different type of pressure, but it's easier, right? You know, why am I working with suicidality and trauma and complexity within staff teams um, and in systems? Why do I choose to do that? I hope it's to make a difference. I hope it's to give me something around my own values, around why I want to do the job that I do, why I became a psychologist. But I think we get lost I think teams and services get lost in terms of their role, their remit, why they're there, because of the other layers of complexity in the, the we call it the matrix. So webs of communication, like from um, your own team. I, th I think we get lost. And you introduced this concept of group analytic thinking in your talk. Tell us a bit more about what that means. It's really around uh, webs of communication that we have, and it's really around actually the matrix that we work in. So actually... What it looks at is actually the networks that we're in. So it's nothing to do with Andrew Tate, by the way, yeah, just to make sure I get that in, okay? Um, it's almost like the, the interpersonal, the transpersonal, the intrapsychic um, relationships that exist within our cultures, our teams, our groups. And it's really thinking about the group in mind. You know, so what is the mind of this group that we've got? So this is not about the patients. This is about the mind of the group that we're in. So who makes up this mind? What does the mind exist of? Where's, where's the anxiety? Um, you know, it's the why, really. Um, and the reason why I like um, group analytical thinking, because actually there's things around that are really pertinent to those with this diagnosis um, as well. Um, so things around how we locate disturbance in patient groups, how we scapegoat, you know, this patient group in particular, right? Um, how anybody who sees a referral with a diagnosis of personality disorder or complex trauma Everybody can run a mile, right? It's like, oh gosh, it's it's too much. Can't do with this. But I think actually we need to start attending to actually, you know, the staff teams, the groups that we work in, and actually how we engage and work with this client group in particular. Which is why I think group analytical think is really helpful because you can't do this work by yourself. It it really matters when you have a robust team that's really around making a difference that can also attend to our blind spots. And I think that's why I value group analytical thinking because it attends to us. You know, I've got blind spots, but I'd hope my group members would let me know when actually I'm falling off track or actually when I'm blind to stuff that's in front of me. Um, and that's why I value it so much. It's difficult, isn't it? Just coming back to the very First thing we spoke about, causing harm. It's difficult for any health professional to accept that some of the time they harm their patients. But of course, all health professionals sometimes help their patients and they sometimes do, you know, do nothing at all and they sometimes harm. And that's just the reality of the situation where we're doing things that are potentially quite powerful. We're intervening in a way which is quite powerful. Whether you're giving somebody chemotherapy 
with horrendous side effects or whether you're treating somebody with a you know psychodynamic therapy whatever it might be but there's something about risk averse services wanting services to be safe locking down services that is kind of built on this we're not going to hurt you <laughs> idea so i think it's especially hard isn't it for mental health professionals to admit they are harming people yeah i just want you to kind of give us a sense of how you yourself have begun to accept that and how that kind of frees you in your practice? I think it's having the awareness that all relationships have the capacity to harm, right? We're working with a a group of individuals who've been harmed, harmed by um, people who were supposed to care for them, harmed in services that were also supposed to care for them. So there is that potential then to actually, we are part of those systems as well. The evidence is there, right? You know, we have pals for a reason. We've got complaints for a reason. We have um, feedback from our, our patients in sessions for a reason. We have team feedback for a reason. Um, we have other service feedback for a reason. The evidence is around us. Whether we're willing um, to listen to it or not, that's the important part. I choose to listen. I choose to listen to feedback from patients. That includes myself. Um, so I know that there's areas that I've had to develop on. I can't see it as saying I've never harmed patients. Um, there will be a time where I have, but can I openly talk about harm in therapy now? I absolutely can. It's one of the key things I start off with around the relationship, what it feels like to be in the room and with me, people's experiences of harm in services. Um, and actually, what can we do to get it right? Um, and that isn't easy for everybody to experience within a team. You know, maybe maybe not for me as a leader either, but I think it's important. I think it's really important to attend to that. Um, and I think if you're you're in it for the right reasons, then this wouldn't be a problem for you to explore the capacity that we all have the ca- capability to harm. You know, and that can just be things around you know our blind spots, things that we miss. To actually, uh, actually, is this the right job for you? You know, are you at a point now where actually this service, this team, this client group isn't your cup of tea? And that's okay, right? Um, But I hope we can do more of those conversations. I mean, that you know, if you look at, you know, I don't know the statistics, um, and I'm talking about all mental health services, we know there's, there's deaths in services, right? What's the learning in those? You know, yes, there'll be a proportion of patients that die by suicide, you know, and very sad, but also a proportion of patients where there was learning for us, and that includes system change, that includes actually um, the journeys where we could have done better, that includes missed opportunities, it also includes other services. So there's so much that we can learn, um, but are we, are we ready, are we willing to go into that uncomfortable stuff? I think the greatest learning comes from the uncomfortable stuff. Um, but people tend not to swim in those waters. But I would question that. 